an unusual format for us to try and engage this church community. I want us to think today about how we engage with God uh, and our life generally in terms of creativity. I once was preaching on the Psalms and wanted to understand what the Psalms meant. Uh, I went to Marc Chagall and some of his paintings, which draw imagery from the Psalms. I went to Salvador Zafreya, the Australian painter, who painted a whole series on the Psalms. Uh, what was I doing? I, I went to commentaries and books of theology, but artists often have a way of appropriating, accessing the truth of the Bible in a way that uh, others don't. I, I want us to consider that the arts and creativity and creative thought is a way to understand who God is. If I want to get a handle on what uh, the Bible says about something or I want to get a handle on an idea in the Bible, I go to artists, I go to playwrights, I go to writers, I go to sculptors. Uh, I want to see what the arts community has expressed for... Uh, Creative work often is our access point to understanding. I presume it's why the Bible is not a God textbook. I don't know if you remember from your childhood how dreadful textbooks were. They took the life out of things. The Bible is not a textbook. It doesn't have a point form statement of who God is. It's a book of poetry. It's a book of artistry. It depicts artistry. It teaches us through creative ways the most important truths of life. And the most important truths of life is who is God and who are we. And, and this small passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we look at this morning asks these questions and answers these questions. Who is God and who are we? Art can help us locate ourselves in the world. Creativity can do it. Painters and sculptors, uh, photographers, performance artists, playwrights, writers, poets, musicians and composers are the group who explore life and explore meaning and enhance and explain life in ways that other fields just can't come close to. They bring a vigour a life to the work and to the understanding. When I was trying to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, I went to Beckett's play, Waiting for Godot. And in his play, I, I saw the same resonance of the futility and hopelessness of life. The artist illuminated the words of scripture. I want you to think about what the arts have done to highlight Indigenous issues. One sculpture that I, I, I found so powerful is Jason Wing's Australia Was Stolen by Armed Robbery. I don't know if you know it, but it's a bust of uh, Captain James Cook and he has a balaclava over his head like he's a robber. And in that small act of putting a balaclava over the head of James Cook. We have a whole statement about what happened to the First Nations people in Australia. 
the art speak in a way which is often more powerful than the bland words which we state in texts. Adam Hill's wheelie bin, a resin sculpture of a, a wheelie bin which had sorry on the sides, was his statement about um, he was questioning the sincerity of Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generation. And he said the sorry went out kind of with the garbage. Uh, the artists speak and they, they, they speak to us of truth and they can illuminate truth. The 66 books of the Bible are full of creative ways of expressing the reality of who God is the poetry of the Psalms, which were meant to be sung first, were, were written in ways which were challenging and opening our eyes. But they're certainly not a science textbook. It's a creative expression of who God is. And God chose to use his creative form to show us who he was. You read through the, the stories of Jesus and he's such a creative communicator through his parables, through his very visual language. He's showing us truth. And today I, I want to consider our own creativity and how we're enjoying it and how we may use it to show other people who God is and open ourselves to understanding God in creative ways. What many artists do is show us life in ways we before haven't recognised. They show us reality, and that's what Paul does in this passage. He shows us reality, but he uses language in such a way that it's stark and it's bold and it's challenging. He begins his passage with this very bold statement. You were dead. It's looking at what we don't want to look at. It's like looking at Picasso's Guernica about war in Spain. Or it's like looking at the black Rothko paintings. It's a bleak vision of existence. And Paul presents us to us and says, this is the reality of your life. We often don't want to look at reality. We don't want to hear the words of scripture, which says you were dead. And yet it stands as testimony to the reality of how God sees us without Christ. I don't know about you, but I often don't like negativity and bad news. It's why I stopped watching Gladys at 11 o'clock. I know a lot of people are addicted to Gladys at 11 o'clock. But I must have been, I just, oh, I just don't want to hear it again. The numbers, the devastation. But even if I wanted to hide from it for a while, I knew in my heart that it was still there. Even if we don't want to deal with the reality of life, the reality of life is still there. The force and power of horror and evil and death are there even if we don't want to acknowledge it. For some of us, we turn away from this 
old summation of life, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We want to distract ourselves from it. If the writer and commentator Brene Brown is right, she says that we're a culture which constantly distracts ourselves. We want to medicate ourselves with eating too much, drinking too much, medicating ourselves too much. We want to medicate ourselves with implements in our culture to stop us from looking at what life is actually like. We're a culture which has driven distraction to a form of life. You try and find a group of people who don't look at their phones. It's almost impossible. People now look at their phones all the time. I do wonder what they're looking at. We're so distractible. We find it hard to actually just look at life. And so it's a hard passage to hear. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul doesn't want the Ephesians, this small group of Christians like us, to be distracted. For a moment, he wants them to sit with the devastating portrait of human life. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. I think internally, we often rebel against a statement like this because we want to say, no, I'm alive. With or without Christ, I'm alive and I'm vibrant and I'm living. And Paul says, no, 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 you're dead in your transgressions and sins. It's the same truth and we can say, oh, it's just one part of the Bible. It goes throughout the whole scriptures. Without God, we have no hope. And it's so harsh to hear, isn't it? In the original language that it's written in, the transgressions and sins are those actions which we purposely move against God or those sins that just don't, we just don't meet the standard of how we should live under God's light. We are dead to God without him, dead to eternal life. And he says we follow other spiritual paths. He talks about this very poetic, the spirits of the air. I think we all want to step away from this and say, well, not me or not us. As a church, generally, speaking university as a church, we often have said those people, they're the baddies and we're the goodies. We're the ones on the right side. We've drawn that line of us and them. They're the wicked and we're appalled at their actions where we are the good. And yet the Bible doesn't let us do that. It says, no, no, somehow we're all implicated in this distance from God. There's a, a, a fantastic painting uh, by a guy called Bryn Gillette on the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee, you know, he's the one who stands up in the temple and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people or even like that tax collector. It's that self-righteousness where the tax collector just beat his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says we're all in the same boat before God, but some of us just don't recognize it and we're caught up in our own importance but we all are dead 
in our transgressions and sins without Christ. It's like reading the Australian historian Cassandra Pivas's book on Truganini and spending a focused amount of time on the genocide of the First Nations people in Australia and saying, this is us. This is what we are capable of. Humanity is naturally distant from the divine. Paul finishes this devastating vision of ourselves, this very bleak canvas, this black Rothko-esque canvas by saying we were by nature objects of wrath. I, I, I don't want to depress you this morning, it might sound like it, but until we see the darkness, I don't think we see the light. Until we recognise our state, we don't recognise the hope which comes in Christ. As I was writing this, I was listening to Baba's uh, Adagio for Strings, which is the saddest piece of music I know. And part of me wanted to turn it off, but I thought, no, I want to dwell within this idea of sitting for a while with who we are before God. We don't want to look at the horrors of Afghanistan. We want to laugh and have another glass of wine. And yet there's something extraordinarily compelling about looking at us and saying, you were dead. And, you know, Paul doesn't say, you were dead, you bad is your Ephesians. He said, we all are objects of wrath. He embraces the whole of humanity and says, we're all in this together. This whole passage hinges on one little word, and it's but. This is who we are, but the true and first artist made us alive with Christ. God made us alive. He created something new in us. We didn't get our act together. We didn't become religious. We didn't say, oh, I'm going to start going to church and God will be so happy with me. We were made alive with Christ by God. The power of the resurrection swelled up in our body. We can't see it on Zoom and we can't see it when we look in the pit in the mirror. But that is what happened to us in Christ. We've gone from the bleak black canvas to this gold shimmering bright hopeful canvas which says we are more than our sins we are more than our failures we have been brought into the presence of god god does not say to us try harder be better because that's just depressing that's like the gym coach the gym coaches down at the gym that i go to pre-covid and they say, come on, you can try harder. And I just say, oh, no, stop. I can't. We can't without Christ. God made us alive with Christ. He made us anew. He, the artist, created us in, in us something new. He gave us existence. It, it's why the great writer Makata Fujimura says that Christians should be as creative as God. This is who we are. We're made in the image of God. Are we made as artists like he is? Are we made to make love 
in the real sense of that? Are we made to make connections? Is it why Jesus said, love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? It's a creative act, continuous. There's no rule book to how to do this. It's a creativity in our imagination, which must be engaged for us to truly love God. God who is the port, who, who sees us in our reality, sees that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, makes us alive. Why? Paul says it, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. We drink those words with hope, don't we? God loves us because of his great love for us. Those people who were lost in Glebe and in the inner west and in delightful suburbs all across Sydney, God made us alive in Christ. It seems irreconcilable to set these two canvases side by side. And yet it's what God has done in the Bible. It's in John's gospel when Nicodemus is talking to Jesus and Jesus says, you must be born again. If Christianity ever descends to the idea of try harder, it's not Christianity. Christianity is the creator God who makes us anew and sets his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Paul expresses it like this in the passage. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. Not by us trying harder. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. God is an extravagant artist, isn't he? You know, where I'm sitting now in our house, we're living, you know, suburbia. Uh, but upstairs, if you sit on our couches, you can't see our next door neighbours. All you see is the sky. God is an extravagant artist. You sit up here and you just see the sky and the clouds go by. And it's like sitting in the Louvre each day. This beauty which God has given us. I walk the dog in this springtime and it's this avalanche of colour with the spring flowers. God is extravagant. He extravagantly gives us life. How do we live this life? I want us to imagine that we've had this bleak, bleak, black canvas. We've had the shimmering gold canvas. The third canvas I want you to think about is how, how do you live this? Think of this canvas of a landscape. It can be an urban landscape or a, a rural, and you're walking into it. How are you going to live in that landscape with this reality that you're made alive in Christ? Makoto Fujimura, in his book, says that we are to become artists like God. We are to become makers. Can we set aside thoughts this week to consider how do I live with the reality that I am made alive in Christ? I'm, I'm a resurrected being. I'm secure in that. I am, as Paul says, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The creator has made us to make 
and he prepares things. Do we listen? Do we listen to his scriptures? Do we listen to him through prayer? Do we listen to him through other people to prompt us to do the good works, to create newness, to create life, to create connections? Fiji Mirror says everybody's a maker. We can recalibrate our being by being makers. What are we making this week? Now, I don't want you to think that I'm saying you have to go and paint paintings or sculpt or take photographs. But with the skills and ability you have, that we have, what can we do to create in our communities, communities of love, communities of justice, communities where people can enjoy life, communities where people can feel I matter. You know, someone, last time I preached, someone contacted me by email and they told me about a book they were reading about um, uh, uh, the uh, Middle Ages. And so I, I bought the book about the monastic tradition and started reading it. And I was so chuffed that someone had bothered to say, oh, here is a book, uh, enjoy it. What was that person doing? They were making connection. It was a creative act. It doesn't seem like a creative act to actually ring somebody up. But what we're doing is making something new. We're developing communication. It's that incredibly creative act of listening to somebody else. What are we making that matters? What are we making with our words? What are we making with our time, our hands, our skills to bring glory to God? What are we making with our money? with our resources. What are we making which matters to God? Are we considering that we are new creations and in this newness, we don't have to be dragged down by our past. Christians are not people of past tense. Our past does not tell the whole story of who we are. Nor, did that, nor does the present tense tell the story of who we are. That's just the circumstances we're in now. We are people of the future tense. We are people of the resurrection. We are people of new life. No matter how ill we are, what struggles we are going through, how bleak the landscape we face, we are made alive in Christ. We are made alive by the God who intervenes. We are made alive by the God who lives within us. I encourage you this week, enjoy the life that God has given us and enjoy the skills you have give, been given by him. Creatively express who you are. Write poems, sing, dance, paint, connect with people love others, cook, create environments, garden, see the beauty and live the beauty. For this is the great statement to the people of Sydney, that we are people who have found treasure in Christ. I finished with these words from uh, uh, Fujimura. He said, it's a benediction for makers. And he says, 
may we steward well what the creator God has given us and accept God's invitation to sanctify our imagination and creativity even as we labor hard on this side of eternity. Thank you.